Hello, people of the way. Uh, we are going to continue our study through the book of Acts in Acts chapter 20. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Acts chapter 20. I have to say that this is a hardcore message for pastors, elders, Bible teachers, ministry leaders. Um, the entirety of chapter 20, you see a beautiful picture of a small group of people. A small group of people, not the not the church at large, so to speak. I mean, there's certain there's exhortation for us certainly, but when you look at the makeup of chapter twenty, you have a small group of guys, small group of people here. Ministry leaders, just like we studied last week, you have the ministry leaders. Sopater, verse four, you have Sopater, Aristarchus, Secundus, Gaius, Timothy, Tychicus, Trophimus. And then, you know, you have beautiful Eutychus, who had a little accident, a little spill. And, you know, the Lord revived him. And you have Paul, of course. Don't forget, you know, uh, uh, Dr. Luke. All these beautiful people, these are ministry leaders. Ministry leaders. You get a little glimpse of, you know, have you ever seen like, you know, a godly man go into a room and you're like, well, I wish I could be a fly on the wall. Because not that you know you, I mean, you hold them in high esteem, but for holy reasons. I wish I could be in the fly on the wall. You know, I just want to hear how they speak, how they pray, how the Lord is exalted. That's what we see here in chapter twenty. You know, we're like a little fly on the wall. You know, not that we're flies or anything, but it's like we, we get a little glimpse, a little picture. If you're a pastor. And if you're a pastor, I could say ministry leader, but I specifically say pastor for a reason. You know, bind chapter 20 in the book of Acts. Bind it on your heart. Bind it on your heart. Bind it on your mind. Because you know who's doing the exhortation here? It's Paul. Paul, unto all these people, unto Sopater, Aristarchus, Gaius, Timothy, Tychicus, Luke, uh, Eutychus, the people in the upper room, Paul is doing some hardcore exhortation, teaching until midnight, and you know, from midnight even till morning, just killing himself, exhausting himself to teach the word of God. Why? Because the Lord wants him to. The Lord called him to that. If you're a pastor, take that to heart. And you know what? Paul's exhortation isn't ending. It's not over. That's what we're going to study today. Remember that exhortation is not only comfort. People think, oh yeah, you know, I, I, I felt convicted, you know, and so I wasn't exhorted today. Yes, you were. Exhortation, people say, ah, well, exhortation is all about comfort. Well, comfort is an aspect of exhortation. But it's to be comforted, to, for, to beseech, to implore, to admonish, and to warn Oh, I, I feel convicted today. I wasn't exhorted. Yes, you were. You were warned. You were admonished. Now the ball's in your court, brother. Now the ball is in your court, sister. What are you going to do? You need to repent and get right with the Lord. Because they say, oh, I, I was convicted. So what do they do? They go to another church. I was convicted. I wasn't exhorted. Yes, you were. 
I love how Paul, I, I have to be very careful. You know, just so you know, I have to be very, very, very careful. Because I have a certain, uh, uh, the way I conduct myself in life, you know, it's very, I mean, if we were to meet publicly, you'd be like, wow, you know, he's pretty reserved. I think you would, <laughs> but you know, I, I, but like when I speak to certain people in my inner circle, it's, it's not, it's not. Uh, palpable to a lot of people and I say that in a godly sense I don't say that like like whoa what is he talking about you know I have certain hardcore tendencies and so I have to be very very careful because Paul's exhortation unto elders a pastoral exhortation to elders and I say I have to be careful because you know I have certain leanings certain tendencies and I've been in circles of a warrior class. I've been in circles of a warrior class. And, you know, some of these warriors were decorated warriors. They've seen things. They've done things. And they themselves are very hardcore in certain theaters. In a training environment, very hardcore. In a combat environment, very hardcore. And it's not to be mean. It's for the safety of others. It's for the safety of the other guys in our group. And when I say the safety of the other guys, you know, it's it's also for offense. It's for safety, so, you know, zero casualties. And it's also for offense. To go out and fight. So this is my leaning. This is this is my mindset. And it's not conducive in certain environments. It's it's not conducive in certain sectors of our society. It's very difficult. It was very difficult the last, you know, maybe 10 years ago, 15 years ago. It was very difficult to 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 uh, live in a uh, civilian sector, you could say. Very difficult. But then, you know, by the Lord's grace and by His power of the Holy Spirit, you know, He helped me to adapt. And so now that I've adapted, you think like, wow, okay, I can, I can rest. <laughs> if fat chance, you know, the Lord, by His grace and by His power, He says, now I want you to teach. I say, okay. And so I teach. So I want you to know I have certain hardcore leanings, hard, hardcore tendencies and, you know, I wanted to give a little picture of the background as to why. It's for zero casualties and to fight. And so look what happens here. We're going to pick up in verse... Uh, where we left off last week was in verse 16. But remember, they were doing some island hopping. Island hopping. They were going in, in verse... You know, they, 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 they met up, you know, the, the other apostles, Paul's little entourage. They met up at Assos. And in verse 14 says, And when he met us at Assos, we took... So now Paul, remember, Paul joined with them at Assos. He says, We took him on board and came to Mil Mil uh, uh, Mytilene. Mytilene. So they're by the water. 
And then in verse 15, we sailed from there, and the next day came to, came opposite Chios. The following day, we arrived at Samos and stayed in Trigolium. The next day, we came to Miletus. So they were doing some island hopping. And so look what happens here. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus, past Ephesus, so that he would not have, not have to spend time in Asia. Now you look at that, and you see like, wow, Paul wanted to avoid the people. And hey, well, you know, maybe what was up? You know, did Paul not like the people? I say just the opposite. Paul had immense love for the people, immense love for the people. As evidence, what we read, you know, remember in, in uh, chapter 19, verse 29, when, you know, they took, uh, uh, they seized Gaius and Aristarchus. And in verse 30, when Paul wanted to go into the people, the disciples would not allow him. Paul wanted to say, hey, take me instead. Take me instead of Gaius. Take me in instead of Aristarchus. And, you know, you, sometimes I read Paul's writings. I read Paul's accounts, what happens, his exploits, you know, in the name of the Lord. The exploits done in the name of Jesus Christ. And I have to wonder, wow, did, did Paul have a death wish? Me personally, it's not, I don't, I don't think he had a death wish. But I think he was kind of looking forward to it. <laughs> Because he says, you know, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Remember, our lives here, it's just a vapor. You know, if you've ever been in a cold environment, you know, it's cold outside, you're in your house or, you know, wherever you live or in, you know, wherever you are, it's warm. And then you open the door, you step outside and it's freezing. And then you just exhale. And what happens when you exhale? You can see your breath. It's just a vapor. That's maybe there for like half a second. And half a second, it's gone. It dissipates. But you can see it for a brief moment in time. And that's what the Bible says your life is like on this earth. That's what the Bible says is our, li our lives is like a vapor. Remember, in, in Christ, you're set apart. You are holy. And death has no sting. Oh, Hades, where is your victory? Death has no sting. You only die once. And when you die once, you know, you're in present with the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. One death. That's for the Christian. The non-Christian has two deaths. Death is when he or she dies. And then, you know, their body dies, their eyes close, and then, you know, their bodies get buried or however they die. But if you're a non-believer, if a person is a non-believer, do you know what happens? They await judgment. And then when judgment happens, the second death is when they're put into the lake of fire. That's the second death. You say, like, whoa, that's so mean. Why would God do that? Don't forget that hell was for the demons. Hell was for uh, Satan. And not was for, is for. That's what hell is for. And you know what Satan wants to do? He wants to take you with him. That's what he wants to do. He knows he's going to hell. He knows exactly where he's going. He knows that he's going to the lake of fire. And he wants to take you with him. That's why. And you know what? People don't put up a fight. It's very spiritual. So you read verse 16, you're like, well, what, what, what's up? Did, 
Why did he avoid? And when you look at the map, you see this island hopping, you know, and they're uh, 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 um, uh, they're in Asos, and then you know Melitene, and then Chios, and then Samos, and then Miletus, and you read it, and you, or you look at the map, and you see Ephesus, and you're like, man, it looks like they were like purposely trying to go around Ephesus. It's not that he hates the Ephesian people. He has a crazy amount of love for the Ephesian people. Have you, have you ever had somebody invite you over for dinner? And you say, you know, flat out, no. I will not join you for dinner. I will not come over to your house for dinner. And you say, no way. But the reason why is because you love them. The reason why is because you have immense amounts of love for them. You say, I don't get it. Well, if you were to go over to a person's house, say you have immense amount of love for a person or a family, they invite you over for dinner, you say, no. You say, how come? I love you guys. You know, the cooking's okay, but I love you guys. But if I come and visit you, I'm not going to stay there, you know, 30 minutes after dinner. I'm not going to be there an hour after dinner. I'm going to stay there till midnight and you have to work and, you know, all you guys have to go to work. I have to work and and I'm going to stay there forever. That's how much I love you. We're just going to be talking, exhorting one another, praying, comforting one another. And I love you so much that, you know, it's not like, you know, uh, we're done at 7 p.m. Because I love you so much. I enjoy the fellowship. I'll be with you. I'll be there till midnight. Oh, no, 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 no. That's nonsense. You know, come over for dinner. Okay. Okay. I'll come over for dinner. And then you're driving home at four in the morning. (laughs) You're driving home at four in the morning. Because you love them so much. You love the company. And it's like fellowship. Koinonia. Koinonia. Sunago. That's what I see in Paul. When he pours himself. The Lord pours into him and he pours himself in obedience to the Lord. Unto the Ephesians, unto the Thessalonians, unto the Galatians, unto the Philippians. That's just churches, but unto individual people. So, you know, when Paul, in verse 16, for Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus. It's like, whoa, does he hate the Ephesians? No, he loves them. You know why? He says here, I mean, he loves them, pouring into them. But look at why, you know, that why they, they he decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia. It says, for he was hurrying to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost, which is the 50 day after, 50th day after Passover. How, how would his uh, uh, time slots been adjusted if he stayed in Ephesus? If he went to Ephesus, maybe what if he just went to one person's home in Ephesus? And he goes in like, you know, dusk. Okay, guys, here I am, but don't tell anybody here. And then word spreads. Paul's here, what? Come over to my house tomorrow. And the next house over, come over to my house the next day. That's what's so cool when he stays in towns for like three years. You know, multiple months. You see his love for the people. Beautiful, beautiful love. The Lord has poured into him. And what is he doing? In return, he's pouring unto the people. There's no holes in his vessel. He's pour, The Lord is pouring into him. You know, and what the Lord pours, you know, this uh, new wine. Paul's a new wineskin. He's not an old wineskin. 
That's why you know you hear me say all the time, reckon the old man dead, reckon the old woman dead. It's because I want you to be a new wineskin. And so when the Lord pours into you, you can start to get full, 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 full. And all of a sudden it starts to overflow. And then you can pour into people. I say, oh, reckon the old man dead. People say, oh, yeah. I've had people talk to me after a church, you know, a church, church service. I don't like how you said this. I don't like how you say this way. You say, reckon the old man dead. I don't like how you say it. Number one, it's biblical. But then number two, you want what the Lord pours into you? You want it to pour out? When you reckon the old man dead, that means you're not on crack anymore. You're not doing the crack pipe. You're not going to the strip clubs. You're not an alcoholic anymore. You've denounced those things. You've renounced those things. You've put those things away. You've laid them aside as a hindrance. And as you move on to perfection, the Lord patches up the holes. I sh you know, scratch that. He doesn't patch up the holes. He gives you a new skin. A new wine skin. And then you're able to be filled and then to pour. That's why I say you look at verse 16. You're like, wow, Paul's in love with these people. He was hurrying to be, you know, in Jerusalem on the 50th day after Pentecost or 50th day after Passover, Pentecost. Imagine, you know, what his, this time, timeline would have been, how far it would have been set back if he went to Ephesus. So no, he skipped Ephesus. He skipped Ephesus in person, but he doesn't skip Ephesus in heart. Look at verse 17. From Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. This is the Miletus meeting. A pastoral exhortation unto elders. If you're a pastor listening to this message, if you're a pastor, look at how Paul exhorts elders. You know, it's not to have a ministry meeting where you can just, you know, yuck it up, tell jokes. But have a ministry meeting where you can pour into the elders, the worship team, the Bible teachers, the youth leaders. Because you yourself are a new wineskin containing new wine and the Lord is pouring you out unto these people. To pour out unto the people. You know, Old Testament and New Testament, that's what we see. That's if you're a pastor. We're going to see this pastoral exhortation unto elders. Now, if you're an elder, this is kind of hardcore. Don't ever be a yes man to your pastor. Don't ever be a yes man to your pastor. Be a yes man to Jesus Christ, the head pastor. A yes man to Jesus Christ and him alone. Now, it's very important to note that, you know, the elders were called. Not the pastors, not the bishops, not the deacons, the elders. Elders have a very, very important ministry in the church because, you know, they're kind of like the, the buffer. You know, they're exhorting, they're warning, they're teaching. They're a huge buffer. A lot of times what happens is elder is almost like a precursory position to pastoral ministry. In a lot of cases, sometimes you'll see somebody from, you know how sometimes you hear me say a pew Christian and a pulpit Christian? 
it's not to denigrate, it, it, you know, it's not to hurt your feelings. It's to say, you know, if you're a pew Christian, when you reckon the old man dead, you reckon the old woman dead, you're, uh, the Lord gives you new wineskin, he also gives you new wine. And then all of a sudden you start to grow. You start to matriculate. You start to mature in Christ. You start to lay aside the elementary things and you move on to perfection. Well, in tandem with that act of growing comes ministry. Where, you know, you can become a Bible teacher, a youth leader, maybe even a deacon. And then all of a sudden, what happens from there? From those positions, sometimes they blossom into other positions, which is like, you know, being an elder in the church. And this is, I'm speaking about positions in the church. And when I say positions, don't think corporate. You know, positions in the church is very holy. It's not corporate mindset. If you're a pastor and you've adhered to a corporate mindset in your church, cut it out. Don't do that. It's God's house. It's God's business. It's not your business. It's not your tax haven. You know, it's not your, you know, your tax shelter. You know, we have a lot of uh, tax advantages for the clergy, for churches, parsonage. You know, it's not so you can get your private jet, you know, your tax-free private jet, your tax-free uh, uh, third parsonage. That's abuse. And you're going to have to give an account for that when you're standing before the Lord. I don't say that to hurt your feelings. I say that because in the life to come, I want you to be protected. So if that's you today, if you're a pastor listening to this message, you need to repent and cut it out. Get right with the Lord and get God's house right with the Lord. What happens in God's house? His business. Get his sheep right with the Lord. You know why? Because he's coming. He's coming. I mean, picture a billionaire. In a worldly sense, picture a billionaire. And a billionaire says, oh yeah, I'm going to go to my other house in you know, Maldives. And I'm going to be there doing some you know, global business. And so I want you to take care of my, my house here. Take care of my cars. You know, I have friends that come in and they come in and, you know, they're going to eat and, they're, you know, they're going to do, take care of them. None of it is yours. You say so he says, You're, I want you to, you know, live here. Here you can stay in the master bedroom, the master suite. And you're steward over everything. It, it, it's all, you know, you're steward over everything. My servants, they're going to, you know, they're going to help you. They're going to listen to you. But, you know, this is the charge I have for you, for my home, my property. And you say like, whoa, that, you know, when you put it like that, that's hardcore. Yeah, it's hardcore. And what happens when you know that he's going to come back? So he's in Maldives and he's going to come back to where you're at. And you're going to have to give an account to him. What would you do? You would be obedient. And I say that in a very worldly sense. But you know what? Heavenly speaking, scripturally speaking, how much more of, you know, it's, it's even more, uh, it's, it, it's even more so the case with Jesus Christ. Because, you know, if you're a pastor, you're a shepherd. If you're an elder, you're a shepherd. But the flock of God, they're not yours. You have temporary stewardship over them. 
the owner is coming back. It's Jesus Christ. He's coming back. How are the sheep to be found? When the Lord comes back, how are the sheep to be found? The Lord comes back for his sheep and he sees one and the one is, yeah, he's in the fold. But then what if this one sheep has, you know, is aligning to crazy doctrine? Crazy doctrine that you taught him, O pastor, that you taught him, O elder. It's going to be bad for that sheep, but it's going to be worse for you because you're held to a higher standard, a stricter account. That's why we're told, let not many of you be teachers. Sometimes people want to be pastors because they just, oh yeah, I want to do good for my community, so I'm going to be a pastor. That's not good. <laughs> Knowing that you're going to be held to a higher standard. Let the Lord call you into these ministries. So when I speak about positions in the church, I'm speaking about in the church, but at the same time, there are ministries that blossom. Where a church can be a hub, so to speak, but from that hub, other ministries, you know, unto the homeless. Ministries unto, you know, missionaries, you know, and other parts of the, uh, you know, of the world. Whatever ministries there are, you know, everything can blossom. But the root of it is Jesus Christ. The way, the truth, and the life. That's the root of it all. So while Paul bypasses Ephesus, he doesn't bypass Ephesus vicariously through the elders. He didn't ask for the pastors. He didn't ask for the co-pastors. He didn't ask for the prophetesses and the prophets. He didn't ask for the bishops. He didn't ask for, you know, deacons. He didn't ask for the evangelists. He says, no, send me the elders. Send me the elders. It's so beautiful. This is... We're going to see here a pastor unto elders. You know, and if you chop it up, we're going to see his witness, his teaching, his call, his life, his goodbye, his challenge, his warning, and then also his example. Me personally, I don't think Paul would be well received in the church today. I do not think he would be well received in the church today. You might right now, you might wonder like, whoa, you know, you're off base. You don't know what you're talking about. Well, Maybe you'll understand when we're done. When we come to the end, maybe you'll understand why I say, I don't think Paul would be well received by the church today. Remember, this is an exhortation. If ever in your mind you think that exhortation is about comfort only, I tell you this, cut it out. <laughs> cut it out. Exhortation is not about comfort only. There's comfort involved in it. There's beseeching. There's the imploring. There's also admonition and warning. Never forget that. Exhortation includes those things. If you've been exhorted in a fellowship, if you've been exhorted by the Word of God, if you've been exhorted by a sermon, it might be comfort. But if you're like me, you know, 20 years ago, I used to sit in the pews, and you know what happened? It was like a knife in my heart. You know, back then, I didn't call it exhortation. Today, I call it like hardcore exhortation because it was hardcore warning. The Holy Spirit was pricking at my heart. Right in my heart. Right in the center of my heart. And you know when it stopped? When my heart got right with Him. 
When my heart got right with the Lord, that's when the pricking stopped. That's when the pain stopped. That's when the conviction stopped with that particular topic. The conviction, it's it's gonna endure, it still endures to this day. It's gonna endure till the day I die, till the day you die. Conviction of the Holy Spirit, it's gonna continue. Praise be to the Lord. You know what that means? The Lord is working on you, He's not done with you. And so look what happens here. In um in uh, verse 18. So this is the Miletus meeting, a pastor unto elders, a pastor unto his elders for the sake of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, so this is the opening quote. It's going to end in verse 35. That's the close quote, end quote in verse 35. And so from 18 to 35, this is Paul's dissertation, Paul's exhortation unto elders, a pastor's exhortation to elders. You know, from the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you. Remember, he's speaking to elders, not the church at large. You see a little picture, not just here, but in the entirety of chapter 20, Kodesh, Kodesh. Kodesh, Kodesh. If you're like, what are you talking about, Kodesh, Kodesh? Well, there was mention in our study in Leviticus about what Kodesh, Kodesh is. And so if you don't know what I'm talking about, listen to those studies in Leviticus. Start in chapter 1 and get yourself current. And you'll hear me mention Kodesh, Kodesh. You'll know exactly what that means. But in chapter 20, you see a picture of Kodesh, Kodesh. Yeah, there's Kodesh for the people, for the Ephesians, for the Thessalonians, for the Bereans, for the Galatians. But for this small group of ministry leaders, Kodesh, Kodesh. That's what we see here. And Paul says, You know from the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I always, always lived among you. He says, always, not just on Sundays, not just on Wednesdays, not just on prayer nights, all day, every day, no hypocrisy, none. What a vessel, what a vessel used by the Lord. And so look what happens here in verse 19. This is the manner that he lived always in verse 19. Serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. Now you wonder, like, what? Many tears? You know, sometimes when you read through, not sometimes, but when you read through the minor prophets and the major prophets, something happens where you see the Lord, in some cases, you know, he'll he'll tell somebody to eat a scroll, you know, like to Ezekiel, to uh, Jeremiah, you know, to different than the minor prophets, Isaiah. You know, he'll say, "Eat the scroll," and then you'll see the account. Of what happens? It's like, wow, you know, it's it's like honey in my mouth, but I swallow it and it turns bitter. That's what happens to the word of God inside of you. If you're a pastor or elder, you'll know you you know what I'm talking about. I hope you know what I'm talking about. And if you're a pew Christian and you don't know what I'm talking about, remember this. Take it to heart. Because as you matriculate, as you grow in Christ and the Lord, you know, uses you and speaks to you, he might speak to your heart one day and say, I want you to be a pastor. I want you to be an elder. And when that happens, you reflect back on this and you know what I'm talking about. But there's times when you soak in the word you read and and you understand the word the Lord is just blowing you away with his goodness. 
and it's like honey on your lips. His name is like honey on your lips, and his word is like honey in your mouth, and then you swallow, and it's so beautiful. You consume his word. But then it turns bitter in your belly. Do you know why? Because now you're a messenger. Now you have to speak God's word. And when you speak God's word, you know that his word is not well received by certain ears. Number one, that's not between, you know, that's between a person and the Lord. That's not on you. How a person is going to receive your words. Sometimes you see the pastors on TV, you hear the pastors on the radio. So-called pastors, I say. Because they don't want to be abrasive. You know, they want to change the word of God to where it's like more palatable to carnal people. If you're a pastor or elder or teacher and you're doing that, cut it out. Repent and cut it out. Because the Bible is not palatable to the carnal. The word of God is supposed to, it, it confronts the carnal. It's to convict the carnal. You might not know what I mean, but I bet you you do know what I mean. Have you ever read the Word of God where it was painful to read because of your life? That's how I was when I was lukewarm. It was painful. I, I read the Bible because it was like, you know, I hear people say you got to read the Bible, so I read the Bible. But it was painful to read. Very, very painful to read. You know why? Because of my life. Because I was lukewarm. Because I had another God. You know what that God was? Alcohol. Idolatry. You know, that was 20 some years, 20 plus years ago now. Alcohol was my God. And every time I would read the Bible, you could say I was a young Christian, I was a baby Christian, but you know what? I was a baby Christian and I stayed a baby Christian. I was on milk and I stayed on milk and I liked the milk. I didn't want to eat the Cheerios, the spiritual Cheerios. I didn't want to eat the spiritual, you know, beef patties. I didn't want to eat the spiritual pork chops. I couldn't stomach those things. I liked the milk. And the word of God is very painful. The more carnal you are, the more painful the Word of God is going to be. Because you know your life, you read the Word, and the Holy Spirit confronts your life. And says, hey, you see that crack pipe over there? Throw it in the trash. And you have a choice to make. You know, you like cooking spoons? Throw it in the trash. You like doing the sexual stuff? Pornography? Strip clubs? Meth? Alcohol? The strong drink? You like all that stuff? Throw it in the trash. What about the wife of your youth? You want to beat on her? You want to do all these things? Cut it out. That's what I mean when I say the word of God is very painful to the carnal. Now, if you like to, you know, change the word of God into, you know, something that is uh, palatable to the carnal, cut it out. Oh, pastor, cut it out, oh, elder. It's not good. Because once the holy word goes out of your mouth, it becomes bitter in your mouth because the word of God goes out of your mouth, it falls into ears, and then the Holy Spirit does his work.
somebody might leave you. Somebody might say, you know, you're, you're, you're convicting me too much. Well, if you're giving the word of God, who's doing the convicting? You or the word of God? That's if you're, you know, going, going through the word. But if you read one verse and then you blow it up into something, oh yeah, the Lord wants to bless you. You know, you're talking to, you know, crackheads. You're talking to sex addicts. You're talking to alcoholics. You're talking to tax cheats. You're talking to a to, uh, uh, married couple that's in, in infidelity. You're talking to a kid that wants to commit suicide. You're talking to kids that are themselves doing drugs. And you want to change the word of God to where it's palatable to them? No, it's not that you hate them. Out of love for them and out of in obedience to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, you give the people God's holy word. And then what comes out of your, what comes from your belly, out of your mouth, and into people's ears. That's between them and the Lord. But the conviction of the Holy Spirit is a very special thing. Because that's how God draws people, people to himself. That's how he draws people. You know, a lot of people, they like to tell jokes. They like to, attend, you know, I've seen uh, um, uh, certain seminaries where they give classes on how to um, uh, keep an audience engaged. You know, those are like sales tactics. I don't like it. I'm say, I say that as a salesman by trade. But I don't like it because it's God's business. It's holy. And so look what happens here. This is what Paul says. You know, with many tears. And, you know, a lot of times when, you, uh, when you're a teacher of the Word of God, it's associated with tears. Many tears. Do you know why? Because of this spiritual holy transaction that's happening. Maybe the transaction that's happened in your life. But what about the transaction that's happening in another's life? The hearer of the message. And not just that transaction. When I say transaction, I mean this conviction of the Holy Spirit. And not just conviction. The comfort too. Where do you know somebody in the congregation is dealing with, you know, whatever sin, whatever carnal nation, carnal nature. Maybe they've talked to you about it and boom, you're in the word and this, whatever's in the word is addressing their situation. And you don't want to hurt these people. You don't want to grieve these people, but you also can never grieve the Holy Spirit. So you teach. You speak, and sometimes you have tears because you don't know what's going to happen. You know what you want to happen. You know what you don't want to happen, but that's out of your control. People might leave you. People might even hate you, but who cares? I mean, you know, it's sad, care, but I meant love God first. Love God, love people, but love God first. Notice the order that the Lord tells us. Love God, love people. When you love people more than God, you're in trouble, O pastor. When you love people more than God, you're in trouble, O elder. You're not going to give an account to people. You know, a shepherd doesn't give an account to sheep. A shepherd gives account to the good shepherd. Capital G, capital S, Jesus Christ. 
And so look what happens here in verse 20. Remember, this is the manner in which he always lived. Always lived. Number one, he was serving the Lord with all humility, many tears, trials, the things that happened to him by the plotting of the Jews. Verse 20, how I kept back nothing that was helpful. Nothing. He concealed nothing that was helpful. He withheld nothing that was helpful. He gave it all to the people. I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house. Teaching in the public square, to the synagogue, to the Jew first, and then to Gentiles. He would teach in obedience to the call of God. He would teach. And boy, did he teach. I mean, who in, you know, carnally speaking, who would listen to a sermon until midnight? I say carnally speaking because it's like in a carnal sense, it's like, whoa, that's that's a long time. That's a long time to listen. But look at the vessel from when, from whence the new wine came from. He loved the people. And that's just till midnight. You read what we studied last week? And he kept teaching until morning. That's a lot of pouring. That's a lot of pouring. It's a lot of love. A lot of love. A pastor unto the ministry team. The first part of chapter 20, a pastor unto the ministry team. The last part of chapter 20, a pastor unto his elders. It's a hardcore message for pastors. And a hardcore message for elders. You say, whew, I'm a pew Christian. I'm, a, I'm, 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 a, I'm in the clear. Well, you don't know how the Lord's going to call you. So sit tight. This is, he says in verse 20, I taught you publicly and from house to house. Me personally, I believe this is going to be kind of a, a last day's model. House to house. As churches change, you know, the actual structure of a church building, I see that becoming less and less the norm. You see it, the norm, but I see it being less and less. Because you know what's happening in the church today, the church at large? Home fellowships are growing because you have people that are in the church, a big, huge church, and the pastor gets wayward. You know what? The pastor gets wayward. That's one thing. It's the elders who should be the safety buffer to say, hey, pastor, cut it out. Hey, pastor, don't teach this. What you're teaching is not biblical. It's the elders who should say that to the pastor. So what does that tell you? The pastors have gone wayward, and so have the elders. But what you're seeing is the Lord raising up certain individuals in these large churches. They start their home fellowships. And you're seeing these beautiful, beautiful home fellowships start to grow. Grow in the word and grow in love. You see Koinonia, Sunago in a home. And you know, you're starting to see the government come against home fellowships. Namely California. That's what they've done. They've pulled the plug. You can't have home fellowships. They even have a number. You know, a lot of these counties, a lot of these states, regions, they have phone numbers where the public can call. You know, if it's Sunday and you see a lot of cars and you see people walking with their Bibles, here's the phone number you call. Tattletales. That's what it's going to be like in the last days. You know, and you know, we emanate from America. I'm speaking about America. It's worse for the persecuted. I mean, the persecuted church where. You know, you could look at the, these things that we're undergoing, and yeah, it's a form of persecution. 
the life and death persecution. It's happening in China, North Korea, Vietnam, Russia, Europe, uh, all over the world. Major Christian persecution against the the saints. In one of the signs, several of the signs of the last days. And so look what happens here in verse 20. Paul says, look, I, I, didn't, I, I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house. Testifying to Jews and also to Greeks. Notice, Jew and Gentile. Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance unto God and faith unto Jesus Christ. Verse 22, and see, it translates as behold, behold, now I go bound in the spirit, bound in the spirit. Carnally speaking, his chains, you can't see his shackles, carnally speaking. Spiritually speaking, he's telling them, behold, elders, a pastor unto his elders. Look, my chains. Behold, my chains. I'm bound in the Spirit. I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem. Not knowing the things that will happen to me there, it's completely unknown. I don't know what's going to happen in Jerusalem. I don't know, guys. I don't know, elders. In verse 23, Except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me, shackles and affliction await me. He's saying to his elders, a pastor unto his elders, the elders of Ephesus, at this beautiful Miletus meeting. He's saying, behold my chains, you guys. I'm bound in the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit has been ministering to me. You know what we've read so far in you know, Paul going from town to town? He's never revealed how the Holy Spirit has been ministering to him in his heart. Except right here. The Holy Spirit testifies in every city that chains and tribulations, shackles and affliction await me. And Paul doesn't go the other direction. In obedience to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, what does he do? He goes. A pastor unto elders. Historically speaking, it's going to take a sad point when we get into chapter 21. It's going to turn a little sad. I shouldn't say a little sad. It's going to turn a lot sad. Because from Jerusalem, we're going to see he goes to Rome. He gets in prison. He gets arrested. You know, Jerusalem, you know, you see like multiple arrests. From Rome to prison, and then he's released, and then he's in prison again. And you know what's so beautiful about Brother Paul? The whole time he's writing letters to the churches. Beautiful, beautiful letters to the churches inspired by the Holy Spirit. Writing letters to the church in Ephesus, to the church in Rome, to the church in Galatia, Philippians. Writing church letters to pastors. Pastor Timothy, Pastor Titus, writing letters. So he's an old man, he's getting older. And you know, we're about to see the arrests start to happen. You know, not here, but in chapter 21. We'll see the, the, the build-up towards his arrest. And you know what's really sad from this point on? Is that this, what we're looking at right here is about 57 AD. 
Seven years later from this moment, Paul's head, Paul's head gets chopped off. He's beheaded for the name of Jesus Christ. Historically, that's what happens. He's death by beheading under the command of Nero. Chop off his head. Seven years from this point. I mean, seven years goes by fast. Have you ever met somebody? And then, you know, the lifelong friend, but then you think like, wow. You think like, yeah, I've just known this guy for a couple years. And then you do the math. You're like, whoa, I've known this guy for, you know, 10 years. Man, time flies. Seven years from this moment, the Miletus meeting, beautiful brother Paul is beheaded. And then six years after that, Jerusalem falls. The temple is destroyed. It really puts this exhortation in a beautiful perspective. And when I say beautiful perspective, in an urgent perspective for the early church. That's the early church. How much more for the Latter-day Church? How much more for you and me? In verse 24, let's see what happens. But none of these things move me. I love Paul. None of these things move me. You know, if the Lord calls, if I'm bound in chains, you know, if I'm bound in chains and, you know, affliction awaits, it's okay. It's okay. Notice, he's not tempting the spirit. You know, you know how Satan tried to tempt Jesus Christ and says, hey, climb up here to the top of this temple and throw yourself down and it's commanded that, you know, the, the Lord will appoint angels to bring you down safely. He quoted scripture. Satan quoted scripture. You know what Jesus Christ did? He quoted scripture. He says, it is also written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Which is a biblical truth. Don't tempt the Lord. You know, if you're a Christian, if you're a believer, the Lord, I mean, if you're a non-believer, the Lord wants you with him, which is to, you know, repent and accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He's the only way to the Father. Don't tempt the Lord, you know, the Lord wants you with him. He wants you. He wants to be with you, like, in spirit and in truth, but then also, you know, in paradise. People say, oh yeah, I don't lock my doors at night. The Lord will protect me. Oh yeah, I don't buckle my seatbelt. The Lord will protect me. It's like, well, don't tempt the Lord. He wants you in paradise. He might just call you to paradise tonight. You go and get groceries. Oh, I, you know, the Lord will protect me. I'm not going to get in a car accident, so I don't need to wear my seatbelt. You're tempting the Lord. The Lord might say, okay, car accident, you know, fly through the windshield. Hey, you're in paradise. Well, you've tempted the Lord. And here, you know, Paul's not tempting the Lord. Remember, it's the Holy Spirit that's telling him, chains and tribulation await you. And even as the Spirit, you know, he's saying, behold my chains, elders. Behold my chains, my beautiful elders. Men whom I love, behold my chains. Very small group of guys. It's not the church at large. It's a small, intimate group of guys. And he says, none of these things move me. Nor do I count my life dear to myself. Nor do I count my life valuable unto myself. Now, I have to say something if you've ever thought about suicide. 
Suicide is murder of self. Murder of self. Don't commit suicide. What he says here, I do not count my life dear to myself, valuable unto myself. Well, put yourself in the service of the Lord. Put yourself in the Lord's service. Because look what happens here. Remember in verse 20? Repentance unto God. Faith unto Jesus Christ. What does he say? Unto himself? My life isn't valuable. So a lot there's this new thing that's coming up in the church. That suicide is a fast track to heaven. I don't believe that. Me personally. I don't adhere to that. You know, when I think of suicide, and I'm formally suicidal, the Lord rescued me from that mindset. The Lord rescued me from two suicide attempts. But when I think about suicide, I think of no courage. And the Lord doesn't like no courage. He calls you, He calls people in the Old Testament, New Testament to be courageous. But when I think about suicide, it's like, you know, fear. You think, I don't, my life isn't dear to me. You know what I say? Praise the Lord. Join the club. My life isn't dear to me either. But what about unto God? What about unto Jesus Christ? You're the minority. I mean, if you think about God, Jesus Christ, and you, you're the minority. It's two against one. You see? So if we're going to be democratic, if we're going to take a democratic approach, you're outvoted. So don't commit suicide. It's not a fast track to heaven. It might be, depending on your walk with the Lord, it might be a fast track to hell. So don't commit suicide. This, this, this concept, this idea that's growing in the church that suicide is a fast track to heaven? No. It's unbiblical. Completely and totally unbiblical. Don't do that. Don't believe that lie. That's Satan's way of cutting your life short. Don't believe the lie. I don't care where it comes from. You say, oh, a pastor told me that. <laughs> Get yourself a new pastor. Oh, my elder told me that. Get yourself a new elder. So look what happens here. You know, he says, but none of, the none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, valuable unto myself, so that I may finish my race with joy. You see, Paul, I don't, my life isn't valuable, but I'm going to finish my, my race. Why? Because I'm outvoted. It's two against one. God the Father and then Jesus Christ, His Son. So that I may finish my race with joy. You say, oh, I'm, I want to commit suicide. I have no joy. Don't commit suicide. Get joy. How do you do that? Jesus Christ. It's one, it's one of the blessings of the Holy Spirit, joy. I've talked to people before. I don't have joy in my life. Why don't you have joy in your life? Let's look at your life. You wake up Monday morning. What happens? Kind of analyze the day. Okay, you go to bed Monday night. Tuesday, what happens? Everything. And a lot of times, you know, we're talking in secret. Just me and another person. What happens? I want to analyze your day. Okay, you know, Monday night, you go to bed. Okay, now, where was the Lord in there? Oh, I got the Lord on Sunday. You know, I came to church. I listened. No, 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 no. Monday, 
Where was your time in the Bible? I didn't read the Bible. Okay? Monday. Where was your time on your knees before the Lord? Where was your time in prayer? Oh, I did that Sunday. No, 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 no. I'm talking about Monday. Sunday's done. I'm talking about Monday. Where was your time in prayer? I didn't do it. Okay? Next Monday, remember how you said you drank a six-pack after work? Next Monday, don't drink a six-pack. Clean out your or you know, tonight, When you get home tonight, clean out your fridge. Take all your alcohol, throw it away. Next Monday, that time you were drinking your six-pack, turn off the TV, open up your Bible, read, and then pray. And then the next Monday, you know, see what happens. Keep doing that every Monday. And then, okay, you talk to them. How are you feeling better? Yeah, you know, it's so cool. You know, I'm not a basket case anymore. I didn't drink the alcohol. I didn't wake up with a headache. It's like, okay, cool. Now do it Tuesday. You know, it's, it's a, you know, a, a growth. Now do it Wednesday. And it's a little double portion because we have Wednesday Bible uh, Bible study fellowship, so you got to do even more so. Meaning you gotta you gotta schedule your time. You know, oh, you preach too long, so you know, can you teach for thirty minutes? No. I'm gonna teach whatever the Lord puts on my heart, and I'm gonna give it to you. What the Lord gives to me, I'm gonna give to you. You know, I get kodesh, you're gonna get kodesh. <laughs> I get kodesh, kodesh, you just get kodesh. But it's still going to be given to you. So rather than me adjust that schedule, you adjust your schedule. Make time. Maybe you have to get up earlier. Read the Bible. Maybe on your lunch break, you need to read the Bible. Okay? Thursday, rinse and repeat. Friday, rinse and repeat. You know what happens in the course of about a month? Hey. Hey, how's the joy? How's your how's your joy barometer? They're like, oh, it's off the charts. Look at what the Lord showed me. Look at what the Lord is teaching me. And they start speaking. Oh, yeah, I read this passage in Hosea. And it was this, this, this. And you got this. If you're a pastor, if you're an elder, you got this big old smile on your face. You know what that means? The lamb, the sheep, they're right next to Jesus. Your job is done. Well done. Well done, faithful servant. You see how beautiful it is? Paul says in verse 24, so that I may finish my race with joy. Never forget the joy. A lot of Christians forget the joy. You talk to Christians, they're like, you know, man, you're so depressing. Now, granted, there are certain sad parts about our life, but don't forget the joy. Don't forget the joy part. And if you don't have the joy part, get the joy part. How do you get the joy part? Jesus Christ. He says that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul is under orders. He's being obedient to Jesus Christ to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And that's what he's been. We see him go from town to town. Thus far, we're in 20, chapter 20. What about chapter 19, 18, 17, 16, 15? You see Paul, town to town to town to town to town, preaching the good news, teaching about Jesus Christ. You know why? Because he's obedient. He's under orders. He's an ambassador in chains. And the whole time, the Holy Spirit is telling him, 
ministering to him in his heart of hearts. Chains and tribulations await you, Paul. And yet he's bound. None of those things move him. And this whole time he's been obedient. And we're going to see his obedience to the end. To the very, very end. When he's an old man writing a, a letter of encouragement to Pastor Timothy. In verse 25. And indeed, now I know that you all, remember he's speaking to elders, a pastor unto elders. Now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. This is our last time we're going to be together, you guys. A godly pastor, he says, behold my chains. Behold my chains. I'm bound in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit testifies, been speaking to my heart of hearts, saying that shackles and affliction await me. I don't count my life as dear to myself. And in verse 25, we've gone together. We've been together before. We've gone going from town to town preaching the kingdom of God. Except after right now, we're not going to be together. You will see my face no more. Remember, no social media, no, you know, FaceTime, no, you know, uh, video chats. None of that. He's saying, this is it, you guys. Very intimate meeting, a pastor unto elders. You see some hardcore intimacy here. Kodesh, Kodesh. He says in verse 26, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, clean of the blood of all men. You, you remember Ezekiel? The Lord tells Ezekiel, Hey, Ezekiel, you... If you don't tell the people what I tell you to say, then their blood, it's on you, Ezekiel. And it freaked Ezekiel out. And then the Lord tells Ezekiel, Ezekiel, but if you do tell them what I say, then their blood is on them. That's a hardcore message for pastors, for elders, for Bible teachers. You better teach the word. Not your word. God's word. Teach God's word. That's what he's saying here. I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. I have not avoided. I have not concealed. I have not cowered in fear. That's how it translates. I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. So, Pastor Paul, he's taught the elders. And the elders are the ones that go into Ephesus and they teach the Ephesians. Remember, verse 18. In what manner I always lived among you. I've poured into you, elders. That's what he's saying. I'm innocent of the blood of all men. You know why? Because I didn't candy coat. The Lord told me this, and the, you know, I was, I'm just a conduit. The Lord told me this, and I tell you this. I've done that with you. I've done that with the people. And he's telling the pastors, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. You know, there are passages in the Bible which are very, very difficult to teach. 
You know why? I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. That might come as a surprise. But I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. God loves the people. I love the people. I have to love the people. If you're a pastor, if you're an elder, you have to love the people. They're God's people. But sometimes they're going to get caught in trouble. They're going to be caught up in, you know, filth of the world. And you have to clean them. And you clean them with the word of God. And sometimes, you know, you clean them and they get dirty again. They run away again. They do all, they're wayward. They do all kinds of carnal things. And, you know, if you're listening to this and you're like, well, you know, pastors are dirty too. Yeah, you know, pastors are dirty. But because we're held to a higher account in accordance with the word of God, if your pastor is carnal, if you're getting drunk with your pastor, if you're getting drunk with your elders, if you're going to strip clubs, strip clubs with your pastor, that's not a pastor. If you're doing meth with your pastor, that's not a pastor. It's not a pastor. Get yourself a new one. Get yourself a new pastor. Get yourself a new elder. Oh, that's judgmental. No, I've taken the plank out of my eye. I've taken the plank out of my other eye. You know what that means? I can see clear to tell you these things. The Word of God is very difficult to apply. And once you apply, you know, with all of the Lord's conviction, now you teach. And when you teach, it's almost more difficult because, you know, if you have an appetite for pain, if you have a certain threshold, you know, whatever that is, you can take it. You can take certain things. It's like, okay, you know what? The Lord is hurting me, you know, convicting me, and it hurts. But because I've been trained, I, I know that this pain is a good thing. But not everybody thinks that way. Now you're a deliverer of a message. And there are some passages in the Bible which are very difficult to teach. Very, very difficult to teach. But it still needs to be said. Because the Holy Spirit is, you know, you're just a vessel. The Lord pours into you and it overflows and pours into people. That's when you're in a teaching capacity. If you're a pastor, elder, or Bible teacher. You're a vessel. You know what's even harder? Is when you know in a fellowship when a certain person has issues with things. Maybe you've counseled them on certain issues. And it just so happens that the Word of God has you and you know that instead of a little pinprick in their heart, it's going to be a major like... Like a big old, you know, it's going to be hard on them. You still have to teach. You cannot candy coat a message. You still have to teach. You look at shepherds today. I'm not speaking about pastors. I mean shepherds, people who actually have animals. You see this in, you know, all kind, all different places in the world. Ireland, uh, you see it in uh, Scotland. You see it in certain European regions, Russian regions, but you see it a lot in the Middle East. I've been to the Middle East. I've seen it. You see shepherds all over the place, you know, herding camel, herding, you know, different kinds of sheep, you know, different animals, goats, or mostly goats. And, you know, you see these, you see the shepherds and, you know, you know what the shepherds do? 
This is going to sound harsh. But they'll have a wayward sheep. They'll have a wayward goat. And, you know, the goat will run away. And then they'll teach the goat, you know, okay, you need to stay here. And some goats will learn, okay, I'm supposed to stay here. But then other goats, they'll take these young animals. They'll take the goats. And when they're young, if they have a tendency to leave the flock, they break their legs. That's what the shepherd does. They'll pick up the animal and break their legs. Say, whoa, that's hardcore. It's when they're young. They break their legs and then they kind of like put a little stick next. You got a little like the uh, like uh, like sutures and everything. I mean, not sutures, but I mean, make it so that the the sheep can still walk. Well, they're causing a little fracture, so maybe the sheep has to limp. And the sheep runs away. The sheep can't run away anymore. It's easier to catch that wayward sheep, and you know it heals again. The leg heals, the bone comes back. But that lamb, that sheep, that goat has learned, I'm not going to be wayward anymore. The same thing applies in a church fellowship. Now, if you're a pastor, elder, Bible teacher, I'm not saying break the legs of the people. I'm not saying that. Sometimes the Holy Spirit does that. Sometimes the Word of God does exactly that. Spiritually speaking, because it's hardcore conviction. You've told a person, hey, cut this out. You told another, the same person the second time, cut this out. Another time, cut this out. You know, let's pray. You've invested into a person. This isn't good before the Lord. You need to repent. You know, you see them to partake of the communion. It's like, whoa, you know, what are you doing? I've seen you partake of the communion and you still have these issues. You're like a dog going back to the vomit and you still have these issues with carnality. You haven't reckoned the old man dead. And then boom, the topic comes up in the word of God. What are you going to do, pastor? What are you going to do, elder, Bible teacher? What are you going to do? Are you going to change the word of God? Are you going to skip over things? Are you going to lighten the load? Because you don't want to hurt people's feelings. No. You keep teaching. And sometimes it's the Holy Spirit which will break those legs. In love. And I'm speaking supernaturally. I've had my leg broken before. By a beautiful pastor. I've had my legs. Both my legs. Heck, I've had my arms broken too. I've been broken before the Lord. It's a beautiful thing to be broken before the Lord. Because of what he does, the aftermath. You teach. You keep teaching. That's what Paul says here in verse 27. I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. I haven't shunned. I haven't cowered in fear. I haven't avoided or concealed. He says in verse 28, here's his charge. A pastor unto his elders. Here's his charge. Therefore... Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock. So, two points of contact here. Yourself and to all the flock. You say two points of contact, depending on the flock, it's multiple. Take heed. This is a military term. It's to give attention and to be on guard. Take heed. And if you've ever been on guard duty and stood your post, it's hardcore. If you've ever stood your your post in garrison, that's one thing. But if you've ever stood post in a hot area, in a theater that is a hot zone, it's, it's hardcore. 
You have eyes out. Eyes out. You have your binoculars and you have eyes out. With your eyes, you look 500 meters out, 500 yards out. You know, a click out. And you get your binos. You look, you know, you can see clearly, uh, you know, half a click, a click out. Maybe a click and a half. Forward observers are at their posts. They radio in what they see. I mean, it is hardcore. You're not alone. You know, sometimes it's a two-man guard. Sometimes it's a three-man. Sometimes it's, you know, multiple depending on whatever it is. Sometimes it's two men at one post. Sometimes it's two men. And the next post is, you know, 500 yards out. And you establish this perimeter of safety. But if you've ever stood post, it's hardcore. You know what the Lord is saying right here? Paul is writing, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to pastors, to elders. Stand your post. It's hardcore. Stand your post. For yourself and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God. The shepherd, it's a noun and a verb. Shepherd is like, you know, you, if you're a pastor, if you're an elder. But then it's a verb because what do you do? You tend the flock, you feed the flock, and you protect the flock. The Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Overseers. That's what a pastor is telling his elders. You remember the people in Ephesus? Paul has immense love for these people. And he doesn't see... I wonder how much that pained him to skip Ephesus. I wonder how much it pained him. I have a hunch it was a lot. A lot of pain because of the love that he has for these people. The Ephesian people. But then he calls the elders. And he's telling them, telling him, stand post for yourself and stand post over yourself and stand post over all the flock. These are people I love. These are people that the Lord died for. These are people who God loves. These are God's people. And he's saying, take your post, you guys. My beautiful, beautiful elders. Stand your post. You know, when danger comes, don't run away. Stand your post, ready to fight. He's saying the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Remember, the flock doesn't belong to you, pastor. The flock doesn't belong to you, elder. The people, the lambs, the sheep, they belong to Jesus Christ. And he is coming again. He's coming back soon. And look what happens here in verse 29. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Savage wolves will come from the outside in. They will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Remember, he's speaking to elders. And people will come. Savage wolves, he says, will be on the outside. They're going to come in among you, elders. So let's forget the flock for a moment. Let's forget the lambs and the sheep for a moment. This is a pastor, not speaking to other pastors, not speaking to deacons, not speaking to bishops, not speaking to prophets and prophetesses. 
speaking to elders. And he's saying, stand your post over yourself. Stand your post over all the flock. Because you know what's going to happen? When I leave, savage wolves will come in among you. Among the elder class. Not sparing the flock. What do you see today? What do you see today in the church? All kinds of craziness. All kinds of loose living. Alcoholism. Drugs. Sex. All kinds of crazy things inside the church. And then you look at the pastors. You look at the elders. The pastors so-called pastors, so-called elders, you look at the pastors who never give the truth of God's holy word. Never. They might give a verse. They do a lot of topical sermons so they can read a verse here, flip the pages, read a verse here, flip the pages, read a verse here. And you know what they're doing? They're piecing together the message that they want to teach. Rather than going through the word of God, full counsel, verse by verse, line upon line, teaching the Bible the truth of God's holy word, even when it's difficult. Since that's the case, what also do you get? No conviction of the Holy Spirit. And since that's the case, what do you get also? A carnal church. Look at the pastors. The pastor likes to stand at the pulpit and tell jokes. A topical message, painting a picture that he wants to paint. And then let's look at the elders. The elders who are the ones who should say, Hey, pastor, cut it out. Hey, pastor, this isn't right. The, pa- the elders need to be like Bereans. We all need to be like Bereans, but the elders need to be like the hardcore Bereans. Hey, pastor, you taught this, but the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible doesn't teach this. And then you can have your own meeting, your own time in the Word, your own study time in the Word. And you know what might happen, Elder? You might win the pastor where the pastor says, you know what? I was wrong. I was wrong. And then the pastor can repent and be cleansed before the Lord. And then go back the next Sunday and tell the people, hey, guys, I was wrong. I was wrong. I've been corrected in the Lord in a loving way. I taught this last Sunday and I was incorrect. You know, I'd like to invite this elder to come up. You know, he taught me this message, and I'd like to invite this elder to come up, and he's going to teach today's sermon on the topic that I talked about last week. He corrected me in a loving way. That doesn't happen. You know why? Because pastors like to be the head honcho. The head honcho. But a pastor should... Correct the record and say, you know what, guys, I've repented. Speaking to the flock, I've repented. I was wrong. This elder corrected me. And I'm gonna invite, I'm gonna, I'm gonna teach what you know how I was corrected. And you know, I'm gonna like redo the sermon based on what this elder taught me and what the Bible says. And this elder, I loved him a lot before, but I love him even more so now because of his love for you guys. He loves you so much that he didn't want you to hear and apply what I taught you. 
That's how much He loves you. And that's how much He loves the Lord and fears the Lord because it was in obedience to Jesus Christ. This, you guys, is a shepherd. Imagine a pastor saying that on a Sunday. I'm not going to give the message, you guys. It's going to be the elder. He's going to give this message. This beautiful, godly man. But no, you have elders that are yes men. And you have pastors that like to tell jokes in the pulpit. And what do you get? Knowing that judgment comes first in the house of God. I don't mean to scare you, but when you look at certain verses, it's a scary predicament that the last day's church has got herself into. That we've gotten into as an aggregate body. And this is beautiful Paul, pastor unto his elders. I know this, he says in verse 29, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock also from among yourselves. Now it's from the, in, you know, before it was outside in, now it's straight up from the inside. From among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things. What are perverse things? This is how it translates. Misinterpretations, perversities, distortions, and corruptions. Those are the things that Paul is saying these are going to be taught. After I leave, I know this, that these savage wolves are going to come in from the outside in. They're going to grow from among yourselves. And they're going to speak perverse things. They're going to speak misinterpretations, perversities, distortions, corruptions, and not sparing the flock. Also in verse 30, from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. To draw away the mathetes, pupils, learners, after themselves. You know what draw away translates to? It's to tear off and drag away. Beautiful, beautiful mathetes. Beautiful, beautiful pupils, learners, young lambs, young sheep. And these savage wolves that are going to come in among the elder class and grow from the elder class are going to tear off and drag away lambs and sheep. Draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, in verse 31, therefore, watch, watch. Remember, these things, these savage wolves coming in from the threats from the outside and threats from the inside. Paul is exhort. Remember, exhortation is comfort. Exhortation is also beseeching, imploring, admonition, warning. This is a hardcore warning. So I have a message for pastors and elders. Say we're in a combat zone. You and me, we're in a combat zone. We're on post. Guard duty. We're on post. We're standing our post. Fully loaded. Fully trained, fully loaded. We hear on the radio from forward observers, five clicks out. They give the position and everything. Five clicks out, savage wolves are coming. Four clicks out, savage wolves are coming. 
Three clicks out, Savage Wolves are coming. Two clicks, one click. We have our binoculars. Now we can see them. We put our binoculars down. Now we can see them. They're getting closer and closer and closer. What are you going to do? What in the world are you going to do? Oh, pastor, what in the world are you going to do? Oh, elder. And inside the camp are new lambs learning to walk. Sheep. You know, male sheep, female sheep. And some of those female sheep are, you know, uh, feeding their young, the young lambs. But inside the camp, you have sheep and you have lambs. And they don't belong to you. We're just the stewards. And the savage wolves are coming. What are you going to do? It's just you and me on post. You know what I say? Engage. Engage. Lock and load. You get the com- you get the signal on the radio. Savage wolves five clicks out. You don't wait. Savage wolves five clicks out. Okay, let's assemble a team. We're going on patrol. We're going to attack. I don't want the threat to be near these lamb, near these sheep. You know. Send a team of guys. The threat will be eliminated. Not, you know, 10 meters out. Not 5 meters out. Not 1 meter away. 5 clicks out. You know why? Because there's a a perimeter. This, you know, this perimeter of safety for God's people. I'm speaking very carnally about, you know, eliminating threats. And I'm, I, I, I don't mean that in a literal sense. I mean it in a highly spiritual sense. Remember, shepherd. Shepherd. It's a noun and a verb. The noun, if you're a pastor or if you're an elder, the noun is you. You know what the verbs are? Feed the sheep, tend the sheep, and protect the sheep. What are you going to do? Knowing that savage wolves are coming. Knowing that savage wolves are here. What will you do? And you know what's so beautiful about this flock that's inside the camp? You'll see people transition as the Lord grows them. From lamb, newborn lamb, you'll see them transition from lamb, you know, and then sheep. And then all of a sudden they'll transform. I shouldn't say transition. You'll see a transformation from lamb, transforming into sheep, transforming into shepherd. You know what that means? You have more people on your post. Not just bodies, not just, you know, if you have a lamb on your post, you're in trouble. If you have a sheep on your post, you're in trouble. I'm speaking to pastors and elders. No, you need to have a shepherd on your post. That understands the way, understands the truth, understands the life. 
understands the full counsel of the Word of God and has applied it in his life. I specifically say his life, male. What has happened? Paul says, I know that this is going to happen. Look at how the Holy Spirit has been ministering to him. You know, all these chapters we read, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, and here we are in 20. We've never known how the Holy Spirit has been ministering to Paul, has been speaking to Paul. Except here he says, the Holy Spirit has been telling me in all these cities that shackles and affliction await me. And now he's saying in verse 29, I know this, you guys. I know this is going to happen. I wonder what the Holy Spirit told him about what was going to happen when he left. No matter what the Holy Spirit said, you know, specifically, Paul is addressing it right here. Straight up, right here. The wolves are coming. And you know, they're not five clicks out. You know, they might be five clicks out. They might be zero clicks out. You know why? Because something's brewing inside of you guys. Carnality. Yeah, you guys are elders. But if you don't reckon the old man dead, then you're going to transform. Instead of transforming and matriculating and growing, you're going to transform and be dumbed down. You're going to go from transform from shepherd to sheep to lamb. And then after lamb, you know what happens? You, it's possible for a lamb to leave the camp. To leave the camp. You say, oh no, one saved, all was saved. Really? Look at verse 30. From among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things. Remember, he's talking about savage wolves. Elders. An elder can become a threat. Do you see elders as a threat? I have seen elders as a threat before. Doctrinally and physically upon, upon women, upon children. Sexually. Pastors, elders. They haven't reckoned the old man dead, so they see God's people as they're to satisfy their Sexual proclivities. It's disgusting stuff. That's happening. I'm speaking about inside the church. It's all oh no, once saved, always saved. Once saved, always saved. You can never lose your salvation. Don't forget that inside the book of life, names can go in, which is a beautiful thing. And you know what? Names can go out of the book of life. We see that in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Names coming out of the book of life. What does that tell us today? Just like what Paul writes, that an elder can become a savage wolf. That a pastor can become a savage wolf. It's hardcore stuff we're talking about. Hardcore stuff we're talking about. And you know what? Praise be to the Lord. Praise be to the Lord. It's important, especially as we get further in the last days. You know why? There's going to be a great falling away. You know, like I say, Sheep and lamb leaving the camp and going, you know, into the wilderness. That's what's going to happen in the last days. A great falling away. You say, oh, once saved, always saved. No. 
Not once saved, always saved. Names leaving the book of life and you're telling me that's always saved? Who told you that? Where do you get that from? It's not in the Bible. Press forward. Advance, matriculate. Be a lamb to a sheep and then to whatever the Lord calls you, it might be a shepherd. But when you become a shepherd and then, you know, a, a sheep and then a lamb, you know, that's not, a, that's, that's backwards transformation. You don't want that. Paul says, therefore, watch, watch. It's a military term. It's to be vigilant, vigilant and keep awake. Watch. What does he say in verse 28? Take heed. What do I say? Watch and take heed. What does that mean? Take your post, be on guard, be vigilant, and keep awake. That's the pastor. That's the elder. Be on guard. Stand your post. And the guys with you, the men with you, don't have a sheep with you. Don't have a lamb with you. Have another shepherd with you. And they're also on post. On post. They're fully armed, fully cap capable, well-equipped, and well-versed. That's the pastor. That's the elder. Now, if you're a sheep or a lamb and you're listening to this, like, whoa, you're going too far. Am I really? You're going too far. I've had people in other fellowships, oh, that's, you know, this guy told me about this and I listened, I heard, and you've gone way too far. Really? What about that youth leader who had sex with the little girl? And you're telling me I'm going too far? What about a pastor who's a child molester? And I'm going too far? What about a pastor who's a, a, a homosexual and is molesting little boys? And I'm going too far? What about a pastor who does his meth? You know, gets off his high and starts teaching the Bible. And I'm going too far? Pastors who go to strip clubs. Pastors who say, oh yeah, we're going to advance party on a mission trip. And they go do, 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 they go do their sex, drugs, alcohol, the whole nine yards. And I'm going too far. No. You're too soft. You're too soft. You need to grow, matriculate. Now, if you're a pew Christian, if you're a lamb or a sheep and you're listening to me, this is a hardcore exhortation for pastors and ministry leaders. A hardcore exhortation for pastors and elders specifically, but also ministry leaders in you know the entirety of chapter 20, what we studied last week. But when you hear me say there's no other way to live in being hardcore, I sincerely mean that. You know, sometimes I wonder, you know, you hear things happen in a church. You hear, have you ever talked to somebody who says, I don't want to go to church anymore. I'm done with church. You know why? Because of all the hypocrites. My pastor's a hypocrite. These elders, they're a hypocrite. 
They molested this girl. They molested. Have you ever talked to a victim of molestation? They're scarred. A sexual victim. Have you ever talked to them as an adult? A 50-year-old woman. 60-year-old woman. A victim of sexual assault. Their whole lives have been taken away. Their whole lives. You you know, a 50-year-old woman. You rewind their life back to when they were a 13-year-old girl. And their life will never be the same. Not just innocence taken. The whole life taken. A 50-year-old woman who's gone, you know, all these years as just a shell of a woman. Why? Because of that one day when she was 13 years old. And you're telling me I'm going too far? Bible teaches us Old Testament and New Testament that the Lord is the one who's setting people apart. For what? For holiness. Therefore, be holy. Moses said, be holy. Aaron says, be holy. Uh, Peter, be holy. For the Lord is holy. What do I say? Be holy. If you're a pastor or elder, I'm scratching all ministry leaders. Specifically, if you're a pastor or elder, stand your post, pay attention, be on guard, stay awake, and be vigilant. Because you're a protector of the flock. God's flock. Not yours. God's flock. If the Lord called you. If the Lord hasn't called you and you're just doing it for, you know, I want to feel, do some good for my community. I want to feel good about myself. Step down. You know why? Because it's hardcore. It requires. You're going to be held to an account. A hardcore account. And since you're held to a hardcore account, be hardcore. Be obedient. Be fully equipped. Be ready. He says, watch. Verse 31, therefore watch. And remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. That's beautiful, beautiful Pastor Paul. I wonder if people don't, you know, oh, Paul, you're always talking about savage wolves. Oh, Paul, that's too hardcore. Oh, Paul, you're always talking about the last days. Oh, Paul this, Paul that. What happens when danger really comes? Doctrinally, what happens when danger really comes? Doctrinally. But physically, what happens when danger comes? Remember, seven years from this point, Paul gets his head cut off. Six years after that, Jerusalem destroyed. The great diaspora. It's, you know, we studied that when we looked at like Acts chapter uh, 8 and 9. Actually, 7 and 8. You start to see the temperature. The Lord starts to raise the temperature a little bit. And the wealthy could leave. Because we, you know, for the wealthy class, it's a piece of cake to move. You don't even move. You know, you, somebody gets a, a plane ticket for you. You know, it arranges everything. You just go. They just send you the itinerary. At this time, be here. That's all you got to do. Sometimes you don't even have that. You know, when you're wealthy, sometimes you don't even have that. 
somebody just, you know, comes to your door, okay, you're, you know, you got to do this, you got to do that, you got to do this, okay, okay, okay. You get to, you know, a nice hotel. People come to your house where you used to live and they pack up everything for you. The realtor comes, property manager, they clean up everything. The realtor comes, puts it on the market. You're going to take, you know, a $200,000 hit. But when you're wealthy, $200,000 hit doesn't matter. It's good for taxes. You know, the wealthy class, they get to move to Florida where it's nice and sunny. Go golfing. You know, be at the beach. Nice warm beach. White sands. Go golfing. Oh, it's safe over there. Okay, they're safe. But what about the poor people? Who don't have that flexibility. Who don't have that freedom. Who can't afford to. They're living paycheck to paycheck to paycheck to paycheck. And, you know, they're just getting by. Maybe they're not even getting by. What happens to them? So when you think about the diaspora, you know, think socioeconomically. It's easy for the wealthy and difficult for the poor. That's why a theme when you read the Gospels, when you read the uh, the epistles, one of the themes is to take care of poor people, help the poor people. Now, if you're poor and you're like, you know, Paul, don't forget, Paul also says to the church in Thessalonica, if you don't work, you don't eat. It's not to say that you can be a freeloader. Don't be a freeloader. You have to take care of your home. Don't be a burden on the church. But even still, you know, if you have like a minimum wage job and you have a family, it's very, very difficult. You know, and the Bible says, Old Testament, New Testament. Gotta help the poor. Help the poor because the wealthy, it's a piece of cake. Just move, you know. Violence comes to a certain region. Okay, going to Florida, White Sands. It's a piece of cake. The movers handle everything. Realtor hands a property management company. They do it all. Nice tax deductions. Write-offs. You know, they do it through their trusts. Even better. Do it, you know, trust within a trust. They make money. They make pull profit. You think like, wow, they took a $2,000 hit. No, they didn't. They pull profit. Good old tax codes. But the poor. Paul is telling the pastor. Paul is telling the elders. Not the pastors. Paul is telling the elders. These are elders who might be pastors. Maybe they transformed from fish to lamb to sheep to shepherd as an elder. And then shepherd as a pastor. Maybe. And among them. Some have also transitioned from shepherd to wolf. You see? And Paul is saying, be on guard. I did not cease to warn you. For three years, he says in verse 31, I did not cease to warn everyone. Night and day. It's very interesting how he puts night and day. Because we saw like in, you know, in, in the, the last week's study, in the first half of chapter 20, night and day to Paul is like, there's no joke. <laughs> Imagine Paul going from one house, you know, have lunch at one house and then have dinner at another house and then, you know, leave that house, go to another house. 
exhorting the church, teaching the church, teaching Christians. And among those home fellowships, elders were rising up. The Lord was providing elders, people transforming from sheep to shepherd. And of those that rose up, Paul says, hey, come to Miletus. I'm skipping Ephesus, but meet me in Miletus. Come here, guys, for this beautiful Miletus meeting. And he says, remember, three years, I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. How sad, I mean, you think of in the body of Christ how joyful it is. And it certainly is joyful. I mean, picture if you're a pastor or elder and you're on post. You know, maybe you've seen a savage wolf and maybe you've gone out on patrol and you go out and you engage the savage wolf. Two clicks out. Five clicks out. Three clicks out. You're engaging wolves. And you come back to the fellowship. You enter the camp. And you know what you see? Lamb. You see sheep. And they're laughing. They're so full of joy. And it's beautiful. Unbeknownst to them. Harm. The savage wolves were coming. They didn't want to spare the flock. They wanted to kill the flock. They wanted to come in the camp and just kill everybody. If you're a veteran, a veteran of the U.S. Armed Forces, this is part of the healing process. You know, you experience violence and then you come into the world. You come back home and you try to adapt to the civilian sector. And it's very difficult because, you know, you go out to dinner, you go out to eat, and you see these people. They're laughing. They're having a good time. But they don't realize that, you know, your best friend had his arms blown off. Your best friend has a hole in his head. They don't realize the sacrifice that you made. You're fresh off the battlefield. You have honorable discharge. You've done You've met your obligation. And then you go shopping at the grocery store. And you see people, you know, pushing their babies. Laughing it up, having a good time. Maybe they even speak negatively about, you know, armed forces, the military. You see them burning the flag. But unbeknownst to them, 10 of your guys are dead. Ten of your men that you love and you miss and you adore are dead. And here they are laughing it up, burning the flag. You know what I'm talking about. And that's what the fellowship is like. There's joy, there's safety, there's peace inside the camp. And unbeknownst to the lamb, unbeknownst to the sheep, outside the camp was harm, the savage wolves. You know, for the pastor and the elder, get comfortable with the outside of the camp. Get very, very comfortable with the outside of the camp because you're going to find that's where you belong. The outside. It's not that you 
hate lambs. It's not that you hate sheep. You love them. But because of your charge of the Lord, because of your call of the Lord, you teach them, you pour into them. But then you have to turn your back to them because of the threats. And you have to go out and engage. One click out, two clicks out, five clicks out. You have to go out on patrol and engage. That's what Brother Paul is writing. You say, I don't like how you say that. I don't like to hurt people's feelings. That's your call. You've made your choice. I say repent, step down. And allow a godly man to fill that position. That's what I say. That's what I encourage. That's what I urge. That's what I warn. That's what I admonish. That's my exhortation. But the Lord's going to have the final say. You're going to stand before the Lord one day. Be hardcore. If you're a pastor, if you're an elder, be hardcore. Get very comfortable with the outside. You love the people on the inside. You love the lamb, the lambs, you love the sheep on the inside. But I can only speak for myself. My home is on the outside. Let the lambs, let the sheep frolic, let them have joy. Pour into them, feed them, teach them, tend them. But then you have to turn your back on them. You're very comfortable on the outside as you are on guard, standing your post, being vigilant and staying awake. And Paul says, I did not cease to warn everyone, anyone or everyone, night and day with tears. In verse 32, so now, brethren, remember he's speaking to the elders, not pastors, not deacons, not bishops, not prophets and prophetesses, to the elders. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace and to the logos of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. This is consecrated, set apart, and holy. So, you know, you say, you hear me say, make your home on the outside of the camp. It's true. But don't forget, your inheritance is included with the lambs and the sheep. I don't make the rules. You might be a pastor and an elder and you don't like what I say. I don't make the rules. The Lord did. The Lord made the rules. You see a shepherd class in the New Testament and you see a priest class in the Old Testament. And when I say class, I just, I'm just, you know, making a separation between, you know, lamb and sheep and the shepherds. But you see priests in the Old Testament and you see pastors and elders in the New Testament. And of those, of that class, you see obedience and disobedience. If you're a pastor, make your choice. If you're an elder, make your choice. Obedience unto the Lord. If you're a lamb, if you're a sheep, you also make your choice. Be under the teaching of an obedient pastor. 
you know, I'm speaking the way I speak because of, you know, where the Lord rescued me from, certain experiences I've had. I don't say things to be abrasive or to hurt your feelings or to, you know, cause anxiety or depression. I don't want to do that. I want you to be poured into. But part of the role of a pastor and elder is the protection of the people. The safety and protection of the people, knowing that savage wolves are coming and savage wolves are already here. And don't forget, as we get further in the last days, there's going to be a great falling away. The threat is very real. Very real. The threat. And so look what happens here in verse 33. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. I love Paul's. You see his selflessness. His motives are pure. He doesn't want to be held in you know high regard. Remember, he, he's talking to the elders. He says, behold my shackles, you guys. My beautiful, beautiful men of Jesus Christ. Look at these beautiful shackles. You don't see them with your carnal eyes, but I've given you spiritual eyes. Do you see my shackles? I'm bound in the spirit. And you know what? Chains and tribulations await me. That's what the Lord has been speaking to me. And I'm going anyways. None of these things move me. You see his pure motives. He doesn't want the accolades. He tells churches, we're nothing. He tells churches, I plant, I water, that's it. It's God who gives the increase. I've coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You know, somebody says, oh, yeah, you know, I made a lot of money. You know, good for you. Praise the Lord, you know. What, what do you want me to do about it? People have come to me before, you know. Uh, I might leave the church, and if I leave the church, my money comes with me. Okay. I don't want you to leave. But if you want to leave, that's, that's, that's on you. People come, and you see people in their pastors in their Armani suits. Gucci, they're going to give an account for that. And Paul says, I've coveted nothing. Coveted no one's silver, no one's gold, no one's apparel. They're, you know, Gucci, Armani suits, you know, $5,000 suit. Pastor's wearing a $5,000 suit. Yeah, it looks nice. Nice, you know. Italian fabric. But that's money that people tithed. People offered to the Lord. And you're using it to buy a $5,000 suit? You're using God, people's tithes, offerings, people's offerings unto the Lord, not to you, unto the Lord for your fourth parsonage on the beach in Malibu. For your private jet. Nice tax deductions. You know. Nice write-offs. Clergy tax. U.S. tax code. If that's you, if you're a pastor or elder and that's you, repent and cut it out. And if you're not a shepherd, what Paul is saying, if that's not you, step down. That's my exhortation. 
You say, well, I thought exhortation was comfort. No, that's my exhortation. That's my admonishment. That's my warning. Repent. Because the kingdom of God is coming. And the Lord wants his sheep. Paul says, I've coveted nothing. Not anyone's silver, gold, or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities. He's speaking to the elders. He shows them his hands. He's like, these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who are with me. Remember, Paul was a tent maker. You remember when he says in verse 31, I did not, for three years, I did not cease to warn everyone night and day. Night and day. I wonder what the morning he was doing. Wake up early in the morning. Starts buying the materials to make his tents. Sewing them, sewing everything together. Selling them. And boom, he's done in the morning. Noontime, what does he start to do? Teach. Preach the gospel. You know, teaching until midnight. In some cases, maybe the next morning, just like we studied in the first part of chapter 20. Sleep for what? Two hours? Sleep for a couple hours? Three hours, maybe? If you have a good night's sleep, five hours? Wake up in the morning? You know, go to the shore, talk to the business people, buy your fabrics. You talk to a guy who likes your tents. He wants a, a blue tent. You say, okay, it's, it's going to cost you some money. I need to talk to my girl, Lydia, you know. <laughs> I need to go hit up Liddy. Beautiful Liddy. You want a purple tent? I need to go hit up my girl, Liddy. Lydia, this guy wants a special tent. Can you hook it up? She says, yeah, I can get it for you. It's going to cost you this much. Remember, she was a business lady too. So okay. Go talk to the guy. Okay. I can do it for you. I can make it purple and it's going to cost you this much. So, you know, you will and deal. You know, give, give Lydia her money. She gives you the material, the colored material. And boom, it's like you start sewing it up. You sell the tent. You pull a profit. And what do you do with the profit? This is what Paul says. Verse 34, yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and not just him and for those who were with me. He didn't set up a GoFundMe account. You know what I call GoFraudMe? He doesn't set up a GoFundMe account. If you want to be a part of what God is doing, you'll tithe, you know, a hundred bucks a month. If you tithe a thousand dollars a month, I'll send you this special plaque. I'll send you a special mug, an anointed mug, an anointed plaque. That's garbage what you see on TV, what you see in the, uh, you hear in the radio. Sometimes, you know. But on TV, oh man, a lot, you know, I was watching this guy on TV and he was saying, oh yeah, if you sow this seed, then I'll send you this, uh, this plaque of anointing and the Lord's anointing will be on your home. You put it on your wall and the anointing will go from the wall and it'll go through all the corners of your house. It's like, man, it's so sad. You know, it's so sad. Beautiful people, beautiful lambs and sheep who write a check into these ministries. I feel like going to these churches. Hey, pastor, why don't you go make your own living? See how hard it is, especially in this economy. See how hard it is. 
when businesses are shutting down, the economy is tanked. You go try and earn a living and then teach the way you teach. You know how tired you're going to be? Instead of, you know, fleecing the flock, you go earn your own living and then you teach and see how it is. See how tired you're going to be. You're going to give a little 10-minute sermon because you're so tired. I love Paul. Look what he says. These hands have provided for my necessities and for those who are with me. So you look at all the people that were with them. Of course, Luke. But then in verse 4, Sopater, uh, uh, Aristarchus, Secundus, Gaius, Timothy, Tychicus, Trophimus. The upper room. I don't know who paid for that meal. Maybe Paul paid for that meal. To uh, uh, include another group of guys. Eutychus was there. Oh yeah, you know, I, you know, I, I'll buy the groceries. You know, let's put it together. Maybe the wives cooked it. I don't know. Paul. Funding. Paul was funding. Paul did the fund. Paul did the work. Paul did the funding. What a message for the church today. What a message for pastors. I know pastors who don't do anything in their study time. They go to a website. You have to pay a monthly fee. You can pay, you know, save a couple bucks, pay the annual fee. And you have all these sermon notes. You click on, you know, the passage of scripture. You click there and it, you have like a certain genres. And you can say, okay, I'm going to take this angle. You click this, hit print. And you know, you print it out and that's what you teach. I know pastors that do that. And that's all they do is read from those notes. The notes reads like a movie script. It even tells you when to smile when to tell a joke, when to pause. All you do is just read the notes. You know what that tells me? A pastor who did not spend time in the Word. A pastor who did not pray. Didn't pray. Just click the notes. And contractual obligation. The pastor gets paid, you know, X amount of dollars, sometimes $70,000. I know pastors that make $300,000. Contract. It's in their contract. I, you know, I, I, don't, I don't have a contract. I don't like that. I've had pastors tell me, oh yeah, we have church membership because we want to know who to invest into. I don't, there's no church membership here. Me personally, I'll tell you what I believe. Who the Lord brings, who the Lord allows me to uh, teach, that's who I pour into. There's no church membership. And you know, sometimes people, you think like, oh yeah, then anybody can come. Well, I tell you the truth, <laughs> nobody comes. You know? It's just the opposite. That's what happens when you teach truth. People have told me, oh yeah, if you keep, keep teaching like this, then I'm going to go to this other church. Okay, well, I'm just going to keep teaching. I pray for you. That's your prerogative. I'm not going to stop you. You're going to break my heart, but I'm not going to stop you. You see? He didn't open up. You know, I've had people tell me, uh, yeah, I, I, um, uh, um, you know, it, it, the Lord called me into Zimbabwe. The first thing I say, what in the world are you doing here? If the Lord called you. 
or they set up, you know, the GoFundMe, the GoFraudMe's. You know, they have the big old dissertation, you know, the Lord is doing this, and then, they, you know, he's doing this, he's done this in my life. And if you want to be a part of what God is doing, you know, that's almost, that's like, you know, it's like lording over faith, compulsion of man. Who doesn't want to be a part of what God is doing? Of course, every single Christian wants to be a part of what God is doing. Of course. But remember, in the manifold grace of God, God is doing things all over the place. I would never tell a person, if you want to be a part of what God is doing, then you'll do this. I would never. Because someone might align with you and say, yeah, I want to be a part of that. But another person might say, no, you know, I'll be with you here. But you know what? My money is going over here. Which is fine. The manifold grace of God. You see how this is upending the model that we have today? Now, don't get me wrong. Biblically speaking, pastors, elder people in ministry can earn income from ministry. Just like in the Old Testament. Priests didn't have to go hunting. Priests didn't have to do a lot of things. Why? Because they were serving in God's capacity. Making people clean before Him. But the same thing happens in the New Testament. Paul's a different animal, though. Paul's of a different cloth. He says to the church in Corinth, of course, I can charge you money. Not charge, but, you know, take an offering from you to support me financially. I can do that. But Paul says, I refuse to do that. Because freely I have received, freely I give. It's the word of God to teach you. I don't want your money. That's what Paul says to the church. I don't want your money. What a different model. You know, imagine Paul coming to a pastor today who earns, you know, $100,000 a year. Contractually, it's written in his contract, you know, with him as the pastor and the, the, the board, the church board. Where do you see church boards in, you know, in the Bible? And I'm speaking like corporate mentality. And in the contract, $300,000 a year. Imagine Paul coming to that pastor today in a time machine and says, okay, you're $300,000 a year. That's over. You're not getting that from the church anymore. You need to go out and you need to work. Go make tents like I did or go do whatever and honor the Lord. Don't, you know, don't hustle. Don't, you know, be a pimp. Don't sell drugs. Honor the Lord in all things. Go and make your money. And that's the money that you're going to use to take care of your ministry team. That's why I say Paul wouldn't be well-received today. I have a strong suspicion that Paul would not be well-received today. And Paul says, you know, uh, 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 my these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who are with me. I have shown you is to exemplify. I have exemplified in every way by laboring like this. And you know, it says laboring like this. It translates as to work hard. But not just work hard. Work hard and be tired to be fatigued to the point of exhaustion. That's what it says here in verse 35. I have exemplified in every way. I have shown you guys. I have shown you beautiful, beautiful godly men. Beautiful, beautiful godly elders. I have shown you 
by laboring like this. When I work hard, I'm tired, I'm exhausted, and I still teach. I've been making tents, and I still teach. And that's what Paul is saying. I have shown you guys. In other passages, you see, Paul's a pattern. A pattern to emulate, a pattern to follow. And he says, I have shown you in every way by laboring like this, that you must support the weak. Translates as the weak, the sick, and the diseased. It's very interesting, the contrast with where we're at in Leviticus. The lepers. And what does a priest do with the leper? When a leper is, you know, doesn't have leprosy anymore, the priest, what does he do? He goes outside the camp, inspects the leper. Okay, the leprosy's gone. Praise be to the Lord. And then what happens? A sacrifice has to be made. And then what happens? Certain procedures have to happen in accordance with the law. And then that person is clean again, can come into the camp, has to stay outside of their tent. And then after a period of time, can go back in their tent. Cleanliness before the Lord. Cleanliness in the camp. And that's what you have in the New Testament. Cleanliness in a camp. As a shepherd, pastor and elder, washes the sheep. Cleanses the sheep. Tends to the sheep. Also feeds the sheep. And also protects the sheep. And Paul is saying, I've shown you by exemplified like I exemplified in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak don't forget in a short amount of years Jerusalem is going to be destroyed the temple destroyed and Paul is telling them beforehand don't forget the weak in this great diaspora you see the rich people they're going over they get a piece of cake for rich people to move what about the poor people Paul is saying, don't forget about the poor. Don't forget, forget about the weak, the sick, the diseased. Spiritually speaking, spiritual leprosy. Make them clean. You must support the weak and remember the words, the logos of the Lord Jesus, that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It is more blessed to give, which is to give as it, as a minister in ministry and adventure. I love how adventure is included. You know why? Because when you walk with the Lord, it is a beautiful adventure. I never realized that when I was lukewarm. I never thought that way when I was a non-believer. When I was lukewarm, I never understood but when I stopped being lukewarm, I repented of my lukewarm nature and I grew and matriculated. I started to understand, wow, Lord, walking with you is like a straight up adventure. Straight up adventure. And even more so today. Straight up adventure. That's what's so beautiful about a relationship with the Lord. You know, He grows you and then he uses you in whatever capacity. And if you're a pastor or elder, you better be hardcore. You better be vigilant. You better stay awake. You better pay attention and be on guard. Stand your post. You know why? Because savage wolves have come. Savage wolves are here. 
and they won't spare the flock. They're not sparing the flock. It's very important to understand these things so that we can glorify our Lord, glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. You know why? Because He's due. He is worthy. Worthy is the Lamb. And it is more blessed to give than to receive. You know, it's it's so beautiful when we see these things because, it, it, you know, it's in application of verse 35. Remember, he's speaking to elders and he's telling the elders, it is more blessed to give than to receive. In a shepherd capacity, you know, it's when a cup is poured into, it's beautiful. I'm not saying that's bad. It's beautiful. But you know what's more beautiful? When a cup is poured out. When a cup is poured out from. Because something has happened. Something that has happened to that vessel. That vessel was once poured into, and now this vessel is a vessel that's used to pour out of. That's how I read verse 35 as an encouragement to pastors, as an encouragement to elders and ministry leaders, as an encouragement to pew Christians. Because if the Lord is pouring into you, I shouldn't say if, the Lord pours into you. He'll use whatever vessel. But the Lord is pouring into you. And who knows, one day, when you reckon the old man dead, when you reckon the old woman dead, the Lord will use you to be a vessel of pouring out unto others. So look what happens here. You see Paul's example of giving in verse 36. It's end quote. He's done. End of verse 35. End quote. He's done. So from 18 to 35, that was Paul's exhortation, which had comfort. It also had beseeching, imploration, imploring, and it also had admonition and warning. Hardcore warning unto elders. Unto elders. He didn't call for the pastors. He didn't call for the bishops, the deacons. He didn't call for the youth leaders. He called for the elders. What a hardcore message for elders. If you're an elder listening to this message, don't be a yes man to your pastor. Be a yes man to Jesus Christ. And then at the same time, be vigilant. Be hardcore. Keep awake. Stand your guard. Stand your post. Be hardcore. Now, if you're a pastor, you do the same. And a lot of times, your back has to be to the people you love, not out of hate. You give attention to them, you know, because you're tending to them, you're feeding them, you're cleansing them. But when it's time to protect them, you have to turn your back to them. You get very comfortable with the outside of the camp. Because that's where your tent is. The sheep, the lamb, their tent's on the inside of the camp. You know where your tent is, oh pastor? On the outside. Because you're a shepherd. And you will give an account to the good shepherd. And so look what happens here in verse 36. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. This is the goodbye exhortation. Goodbye exhortation. Because remember, he said in verse 25, I'm not going to see you guys anymore. This is it. This is our last meeting. You will see my face no more. 
when you see the love that was there with a pastor and his elders. This beautiful, beautiful love. Because look what happens here. In verse 37. Then they all wept freely. Translates as profusely. They all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him. They fell as to embrace with affection. And then they fell on Paul's neck and kissed him. Now, you know, I've kissed men in my family. You know, that's family. It's, you know, I'm Latin American. You know, they have Latin American cultures. Kiss on the cheek, you know. Left, right, kiss on the cheek. Hey, how you doing? You know, left, right. But there are very, very few men that I've kissed. But of these men, very beautiful men. Life-changing, life-changers. And I don't mean like, you know, if you're thinking carnally, get that thought out of your head and repent. I mean like in a warm embrace, kneel, kiss on the neck, kiss on the cheek. Very, very few men. But these are very, very special men. Life-changing, life-changers for me. Life-changers. That's what you see here in this beautiful pastor and elders. His exhortation that the wolves are coming. They fell on Paul's neck and kissed him. Sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke. Hardcore words. Hardcore words. That they would see his face no more. This is the last time. Verse 25. You will see my face no more. This is it, you guys. This is it. You know, we've gone through Ephesus. I've had meals in your home. You know, I've played with your kids. You know, you know, I laugh with your wife. We've done all kinds of things for the name of Jesus Christ. We saw people. We saw people get saved. You know, you took care of me when you know they thought I was dead, when they were beating me up. You know, you, you guys took care of me. Your wife treated my wounds. But this is it. This is it. No more. No more. And they accompanied him to the ship. You see how beautiful this is. Yeah, he bypassed Ephesus. But then look at his sacrifice for the people of Ephesus. This is shepherd unto elders. Outside the camp of Ephesus. And Paul is having a little meeting. With the guards. With the shepherds. Outside the camp. Kodesh, Kodesh. From this point on, it gets a little heavy. It gets a little heavy because it doesn't go so well for Paul. It doesn't go so well for Paul. Remember, the whole time the Holy Spirit has been ministering to him, speaking to him, testifying in every city that chains and tribulations await him. And that's what we're going to see moving forward. But you know what's so beautiful? As these chains, as these shackles and affliction and tribulation await him, we're going to see that in chapter 21 on to the end. The whole time, this beautiful, beautiful pastor is writing letters to the churches, to the Ephesians, to the Corinthians, to the Thessalonians. Timothy, 
Shudders the Pastors. Beautiful little Timmy. He's non-stop. He doesn't stop. This is a pastor. An evangelist, a teacher. That at one point in his life wanted to kill the Christians. Wanted to kill Christians and destroy the people of the way. But what Satan intends for evil, God turns into good. And look at what he did with Paul. Be of good cheer, people of the way. We're going to end our study here. God bless you guys. Love you guys.